0: If you would, open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. And I looked in the pews and you've got like ESVs in the pews and, and I did this in NIV, so forgive me for that. 1 John 4, beginning at verse 7, reads as follows. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No man has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in him and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. No one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God, yet hate his brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And and he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Amen? Amen. If I had to ask you what the theme of those, those verses were, in one word, what would you think it was? Okay. Let's say it all together. What do you think it is? Love. Okay. All right. I, I'm, I'm from a culture that, that it's okay. You can, you can talk back to me the whole, the whole time. I, I love that. I love that. Now, doesn't it seem odd? Doesn't it seem odd, though, that this book that was written by one of those that walked closely with Jesus was sent to a church? Seems odd to me because I can come to church every Sunday and I can sit next to some, I can interact with others, but there may not be any relationship there. <laughs> and it's said of the apostle John, it's, 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 it's interesting, when you look at his life, it's said that, that throughout his life, this is all that he said. He said, John, like, what are you gonna, pre- what are you gonna preach this week? We need to love one another. Week five, what are you going to preach today? We need to love one another. Two years in, he's still. And they said, you know, why is it that you preach the same thing? And he said, I preach it over and over again because we haven't gotten it yet. We're not doing that. I did a little bit of a social experiment when we were having the fellowship time. I came up to some of you and I just said, I love you. Just to see what your response was. I mean, it was, you know, most of them were still with peace be with you. Peace, peace be with you. And some of that is because in the New Testament, in the Greek, there's four words that are used for love. There's eros. That has to do with, with intimacy and it has to do with the relationship between a husband and a wife that, produce, that, that is used to, to draw them closer together emotionally as well as the intimacy is, is a result, of, a, a, a reproduction is a result of the intimacy that they have. But I don't think John is talking about that. There's a new one that I was aware of that's called J Love. Again, when it's translated into the Bible and to what we read, we wouldn't read Storge, we would read We would read love. But that's the love that a family has, that, you know, the interaction between mother and father and the kids and all of that. that allows us to function as a family or be dysfunctional as a family, but we get along in the same house and we live with one another. But I don't think John was talking about that either. And then there's the the phileo love. The one that, that brothers that live together in unity do. The love that that allows you to say, peace be with you, to one another. But I don't think he was talking about that either. In fact, when I think about that phileo love, I think about the, the incident in John 21, when Jesus is walking with Peter, and he's commissioning Peter into the work, and he says, you know, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yeah, you know, I love you and stuff. I I do. You're Jesus. I mean, I got to love you. But he was saying, Phileo, Jesus was talking about the fourth kind of love, which is agape. Agape is something completely different. It is, it is, it is. Love sometimes does it a disservice. But for the 27 times that, that John was talking about love in this verse, he was talking about agape love. He was talking about an unconditional love. He was talking about a love that has no boundaries to it. It's a love that, that, that comes from God. It's an it's it's attribute of God that, that, that it's, it's like the number one attribute of, of God. That everything, every, every attribute about him finds its home in his love. The fact that God can be with us all the time is a testament of his love. Whether we're in good circumstances or bad, he's always there with us because he loves us. If we feel his power in our lives, when we're in difficult situations and he's able to lift us up and, and bring us out, it's because of his love. It, it, the power of his love is being manifest. Manifest when your mind wants to be swayed one way and and you keep hearing voices that are saying, come back to me or drawing you into scripture, that's his omniscience being shown to us, but it's housed in his love for us. And really, if we can sit here today and claim Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, it was the God that pursued us. Because he created us and he loves us. So see, life, is, life is, is, is somewhat simple in one sense. The truth of the matter is, God created each of us for two reasons. One, that we might worship and enjoy him forever. Worship service is like my favorite time because I feel like I can enjoy God all to myself. I can sing the words of what the, I can sing the words that are on the screen, but my heart is screaming something else. See, I put my hands in the air not because I'm charismatic You know, and if you saw a little kid, I guess little kids are charismatic too because they're always doing this. (laughs) But I look forward to the day when Jesus comes back. When I sing those songs of worship, I imagine him coming through the clouds and I want to (laughs) be, I want to be headed that way. I want him to see me looking up and going that way. Agape love. A love that's not based on conditions. And John just reemphasizes that point over and over and over and over and over again. I I was mentioning to your pastor that it's, when you, when you read through this letter, it's, it's pretty funny sometimes when you read through New Testament letters because, again, these writers were responding to things that were going on at church. And in this particular church that, that John was writing to, you had these folks that didn't even believe. So you had unbelievers mixed up with believers and, you know, and they probably were interrupting services. We read about Paul's situation in the Corinthian church. They were doing all kinds of things in in that church. And we have a very nice civil ceremony that we have here. But if I were to summarize these verses, if I were to give you one thing to walk away with, understand this. I'm not going to say love because we saw that there's three other, four of the different ways. There's four ways you could interpret what I'm saying. From this point on, everything that I'm going to say is agape. And agape is a command, not adoption. We are commanded to love unconditionally. Everyone, no matter what, because it's commanded of us to do. It's not an option. And so, you know what we have to do? We have to develop a habit, we have to develop a practice. Of living in this unconditioned, this agape space. And that's what I believe Paul, that's what I believe John is trying to drive us towards. He's trying to get us to cultivate a habit. So I've got five habits that Christians must habitually practice. So Christians habitually practice agape when? Verse 1 and 2. When God, when you realize, oh, Christians habitually practice agape because God indwells them. Verses 1 and 2. Dear friends, let us, Agape one another, for agape comes from God. Everyone who agapes has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not agape does not know God because God is agape. If I told you to tell someone across the aisle that you love them, well, look across the aisle and tell someone that you love them, that you like Now look at somebody that you like that you really like. Okay, okay. Okay, now here's the test. Here's the test. Now watch this. Look across the aisle at somebody you don't like and tell them that you love them. We were truthful. We were honest. There's some issues. If anybody's perfect, you can stand up. You switch places with me. We have issues, saints. God didn't place this church on this corner for it not to be a lighthouse. But the reason that the doors aren't busting, and I'm talking about my church as well. I'm talking about any church. The reason that the world is in the shape that it's in is because of agape. We're looking at people and, and, and we're, saying, we're saying it nicely on Sunday. We're acting nicely on Sunday. But Monday through Saturday, are we reaching out to a dying world? No, are we reaching out amongst one another? See, it all, it all comes from God. When I was describing those attributes, when you get caught up into all that God is and the fact that someone so magnificent in all of our minds' finite ability to understand would, would care that much about, that he would create a planet just for us. They haven't found any life anyplace else, have they? They're sending stuff like way out there, and they still haven't found anything that's like this. And he created it for us. Because he agape. So when you hear somebody, when I have an attitude with somebody about something, I'm forgetting about the one who made my life possible. I'm forgetting that on that day that I invited him into my life, that he, he sealed his Holy Spirit inside of me so that I would have the power to, to live the way that, that he would have me to live, that he would give me his word that would be a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path in order that I might know. But saints, it's a practice. It's a practice. We were laughing the other week about Alan Iverson. That, that's always a good one. I won't go there. <clears throat> but it's a, it's a practice that's a habit. So Christians can habitually practice love because God indwells them. Secondly, Christians can habitually practice love because it imitates. Christians, I got to read my notes. Christians habitually practice love because the desire to imitate the supreme example of Christ, of God's sacrificial love in sending his son. Verse 9, 10, and 11. This is how God showed his agape toward us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is agape. Not that we loved, not that we agape God, but that he agape us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for sins. Dear friends, since God so agape us, we ought to also agape one another. When was the last time that you you actually went through the process in your own mind of what God did for us when he sent his son into the world? And if it doesn't get you full, it's because it's not a practice. It it becomes rote at some point. We forget where we were, that we were on the other side of the cross. That there was a time when I didn't know God, didn't didn't have a desire for him. In my own personal testimony... Second verse of the Bible that I learned at the age of seven, well the first verse was Genesis 1:1. Anybody else? Genesis 1:1. In the beginning, God created the heaven earth. Genesis 1:1. The second one was John 3:16. I was going to a Methodist church. I, I, don't, I don't know. I didn't think Methodists did gospel stuff, but I, I guess they did because I, I learned John 3:16 at the age of seven and recited it the rest of my life until I gave to Christ at 26. You're a Christian? Yeah, John 3.16. <laughs> but when I found out what took place on that tree, when I realized that, that all of my sins he took upon himself You know, and sometimes I I leave it there. But I don't look at the divine transaction that took place between Jesus and God there. See, you have to go back to the Old Testament and see how that whole sacrifice process went. But I'll summarize it for you like this. You remember in the law, there was a time when Abraham was told by God to go take his son and sacrifice him on the altar. And you remember Abraham was very obedient to do that, right? When he finally surrendered his will over to, to God, had his son tied to the altar took the knife and brought it back to do exactly what God had told him to do. God, an angel stayed his hand. Stayed his hand. And we think that's the end of the story. 2,000 years later, When Jesus hung on that cross, the hand wasn't stayed. The wrath of God for my sins and your sins and the whole world's sins was taken out on Jesus as the only means to reconcile God and man to to make that transaction where it wasn't just an appeasement it wasn't just something that would be good for a year but we're forgiven don't have to do that anymore So how can I look at, how can I look at anybody? Why should I even look at the world that we live in now and not have compassion? Because they were lost just like I was. They were acting the way that you're supposed to act. And yet, we've got the answer. We've got the person to point them to. But we fall into the same trap as they do. Because, phileo, I'll show them story day. Yeah, I'll look at them the wrong way. But agape is what's going to change them. Because it was agape, it was us understanding that, that divine transaction that changed our lives. But if we don't practice it, if you don't have it here, if you don't put it into practice, if you don't see that God creates opportunities for you to share Christ with others, then you can't practice agape. It can't become, it can't, it can't become a habit. The third thing, Christians, Christians habitually practice love because love is in the heart of our Christian witness. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Who wants to be like super Christian? Yeah, okay, see so you only got a few hands. Everybody's hands should be just <laughs> reaching to the sky. Well, you can't be it If you're not doing it, see, I'm, I, this is, this is, this is real. This has been my whole Christian experience. Everywhere you go, people are looking for Christians. They, they really are. I mean, we're, we're peculiar. Peter said it right. We're, we're weird. I mean, some of the things that we say, but the people that we work around every day, they're really looking. And they can tell you how to be a Christian better than you can sometimes, because they tell you everything that you do wrong. But you don't show them that it's just a life. Let me tell you what Christ has done for me, how he changed my life. Do I make mistakes? Absolutely. And when they see that, that's, that's like revolutionary for them. But they can't see God unless they see it in us. They can't see Christ. They can't even know Christ unless they see it in us. We are God's representative. We're his ambassadors in the world. And yet, you know, we can find reasons to disqualify ourselves. We can put ourselves in positions to say, well, no, maybe I'm, I'm not the guy. And as sure as he saved you, as sure as he opened up The the reality of what Christ has done for you, and you accepted it as a free gift, give it away as a free gift. But the only way it's going to happen is if you practice it. Not phileo, not storge, not eros, agape. No conditions. It's got to be unconditional. Fourth one. Believe it or not. Christians habitually practice love because love is the Christian's assurance. It's our assurance. It's the way that we know that we belong to him. 13-16. 13-16. This is how we know that we live in Him and He is in us. He has given us His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love, love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Um, Sometimes, I don't feel like a Christian. Sometimes the people that I hurt the most are those three back there. A wife who married me when, when I was trying to drag her life in another direction. But she showed, up. she showed an agape for me, and she wasn't even saved, so I don't, I don't know. You, I'll find out in heaven one day. don't, we look at our lives and not understand, again, this, uh, this agape allows us to move in and out of times of self-condemnation. Amen? We, we, we push ourselves out and say, hey, I uh-uh, no, nah, I ain't, uh-uh. Nope, you're not, you're not no Christian. And don't even realize, and we'll do it here. We'll come in here and pretend like everything is great. When as Chuck Swindoll says, this is just one big emergency room for sinners. This is the only place that you can come where people should understand you. Where you can have a a level of transparency that's unlike any other. Because we're all under construction. One of the the best things that were told me when I came to faith in Christ was that it ain't gonna happen on this side. You're under construction. God has to take all of the things out of your life that were hindering his ability to, to, for you to become what he wants you to be. And if you remember in the beginning, if you keep it within the context of Romans 8, 28 and 29, which is my life verse, it's, it's real simple for this. For God causes all things to work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purposes. And then verse 29, he says, for whom before knew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that we might become the first fruit among many brethren. He's expecting us with our lives to go out and reproduce others that look just like us. That's a scary thought. <laughs> but he's made that investment in us. He says in Philippians 1, he said, if I began the good work in you, I'm going to complete it. Whether you want to or not, you might have to go kicking and screaming. But if I began the work in you, I'm going to complete it because he's the the author and the finisher. So what right do I have to condemn myself and disqualify myself? When all I have to do is what he'll say in in, in 1 John 1, 9, just confess your sin." Say, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you and then cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Marie, sometimes she remembers my stuff. She goes back in. But no longer do you have to live in the condemnation because God is just pointing something out to you that hasn't been surrendered, that you need to just give over to Him, and let Him begin to to purge that out of you. And that becomes a testimony that you give to the world. Let me tell you what my life used to be like. Lastly, Christians habitually practice love because because of the the Christian's confidence in judgment. Check this out. This This is how agape is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. Just that alone. Just that alone should cause us to pause. The good part about the the salvation message is that we won't have to go through, we won't have to experience the wrath of God. Interestingly, I led a man to Christ a a month, it's probably a couple months he was the first guy that when I asked him if there was a way for him to go to heaven, he, I mean he recognized that he acknowledged that he was a sinner and he was broken about it. But when I asked him if there was a way in which you could be guaranteed heaven, even though you had done wrong, would you take it? And in all my years, this is the first guy that said no. He said, I deserve, if I've done this to God, I deserve it. You know, I had to spend like 30 minutes trying to, hey, there's a way. There's a way, man. You don't have to, you don't, this is not the end. There is a way. But saints, just because we don't endure that judgment of the wrath of God because we're separated from him. Don't dare dismiss the idea that he saved you in order that you might produce fruit in this world. And that's going to be judged. It's going to be judged. What are you building your life? What are you building this service to God on? It says in 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians, it's one of those, that you're either building your life your works, the things that he's, he's given you, the gifts and talents that he's given you, and what it's producing. It's either producing wood, hay, and stubble, or precious stone, gold, and silver. He said, but on that day, your works are going to be there. You're going to appear before Jesus. Jesus to give an account for what you've done since you've accepted so free a gift of salvation. And if they've been done for your glory and honor, he said it's going to burn. He said, you'll get in, but you'll be given one just escaping the flames. (laughs) There's a judgment coming, Saints. And he says, even when you look at the world now, judgment begins in the house of God. And if we're barely getting in, what about those that are outside? But do you have a heart? Do we have agape? Are we willing to go out there and reach them? I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. And the reason that we're not as bold is what we find him saying. In verse 18, there's no fear in agape, for perfect agape drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment, and the one who fears is not made perfect in agape. We love because he first loved us. One of the verses that was said that just really touched my heart today, but God demonstrated his agape towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. did that for us and was willing to wait until our hearts change, was willing to wait for my heart to change in order that I might embrace it. But I'm afraid of what somebody else says? No. Perfect love drives out fear. And then in verse 20, he says, whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love, cannot agape God whom they have not seen. <clears throat> Let me tell a story. You know, I'll go sit down. I grew up in a very dysfunctional family, family of five. Um, my brother and I were bookends, real unique, this is real unique. My brother and I are seven years apart, born on the same day. I was his seventh birthday present. Got three sisters in between. Got my two older sisters are born a day apart, a year apart. And then my my, my third sister has two birthdays. That's another story. But we grew up in a very dysfunctional home. My dad was never around. Uh, my mom held us together as best we could, as best she could. Uh, at the age of 10, my brother was my best friend. At the age of 10, uh, my dad, you, you have to understand the times. This was the early 60s. So as far when you talk about civil rights and all of those things, this was, a, this was not the best place in the world to be if you were African American. And so my brother by the grace of God, had gotten involved in ministry. I mean, this, this kid was like 12 years old and he had, a, he had a ministry to seven and eight year old kids in an in adjoining housing project. Made them into a baseball team. Got recognized by by DePaul University, and they offered him when he graduated from high school at the age of 16. They offered him a scholarship to go to DePaul. This is like 1962, 63. He might have been the second black. <laughs> he might have been the second black guy to actually go to DePaul. But but the fact of the matter was, here was a here was a man that was poised to move forward in ministry and do great things for God. My dad was the type of person that would show up in our lives for a couple weeks, run roughshod over everybody, uh, abuse you emotionally, uh, uh, not not too much physical, but the emotional and the verbal abuse was enough for you to feel that. Uh, And we couldn't figure out why my mom would stay with him. We were like, get rid of the dude. Why don't you get rid of the dude? But she wouldn't. She wouldn't allow us to talk against him. So when my brother graduates from high school, he's all poised to go to DePaul University, got a four-year full-ride scholarship. My dad takes him and puts him in the Air Force. Where'd that come from? What is that for? What's that gonna do for him? He's got a future that's laid out for him. Why would you do that? My dad did it because he could. The next four years, my brother, he served, he was smart enough. He was, he was in military intelligence. And so he did two tours of Nam uh, while he was there. When he came out, he was uh, like that. Uh, he wasn't real stable. I'll say that. Got a job in, in, in IT at the time. And uh, his first paycheck was one of those times when my dad showed up and told him that he had to pay all of the bills in the house. And he said, well, what's your job? And my dad said, get out. So now my brother, at the age of 20, 21, has to forge a life for himself. Moved to California, got into drugs. His life just spiraled down. But you know, in spite of the fact that uh, we had a difficult life there, I always wanted the love of my father. I wanted to do enough, and my brother felt the same way. Just wanted to do enough to earn my father's approval and his love. Never got it. Uh, fast forward at the age of, and he, he stepped in, my brother tried to step into our dad's life a few times, didn't happen. My mom and dad eventually divorced when I was 16, and I never saw him, if I saw him on the street, uh, uh, I would say some very, very unkind things to him. Um, at the age of 26, I came to faith in Jesus Christ. Um, five years after I came to faith in Jesus Christ, my brother committed suicide. And, and you know, it, it was funny. When I came to faith in Christ, I, I can very honestly say I understood the whole transaction that took place. And I loved God. But if you ask me about my father, I say, I hate him. Hate him, want him to die, want him to go to hell. No, no return, no recall waivers. Five years after that was when my brother committed suicide. My dad showed up at the funeral. Um, Maria and I had been married five years. We met at the, uh, when we went to the burial, my dad then proceeds to introduce himself to Maria and tell her about what a great dad he was and how we never obeyed what he said do. And I remember, I remember the, the, the hatred that was the bitterness and hatred that built up in my heart towards him. And we almost got into a confrontation there, but we got separated. Shortly after that, dear brother that I love, that I, I study scripture with, we started memorizing 1 John. When I got the 20, first face that pops up in my head. I said, no, not doing it. I said, well, then I guess you don't love me then, do you? Well, we have to deal with this. But the problem with memorizing scripture, if you want a reason not to memorize scripture, is that the Holy Spirit will bring it back. He'll bring it back to your mind till you get it. So you better surrender. I went and saw my dad. Actually, the day that I went to see him was February, February 11th or 12th, which was his birthday. And God has so worked on my heart. I told him, I told him these things. I said, you know, I gave my life to Jesus Christ five years ago. And he's making changes in my life that need to be there that I, I can't say that you were the best dad to me, but you're my father. I, I can't change that. And so I need to ask your forgiveness for feeling about you the way that I do. Because I didn't like you. I, I, I struggled. But when I weighed what Jesus had done for me, How could I, how could I, how could I not? The way you treated, the way you treated us, God has used to put me on a track with him that I never might not, might not have gotten. So I need to ask your forgiveness. And I said, if there's any way that we we can stay, you know, you can stay in my life, that would be great. I said, I've been married, you know, a few years, uh, maybe. You know, maybe when we have kids, you know, they'll get a chance to meet their grandfather. My dad looked at me like I was crazy. Um, And I won't say what he said, but I laughed. But I, I felt like I had done what God told me to do. 21 years later, on a Saturday night with a blizzard going on outside, I get a call from the emergency room in Northwestern Hospital saying there's a man sitting here saying that he's your father. What? What? Ah. Through circumstances we got back together and, and he had, the first thing he asked me was, did I really mean all that Jesus stuff that I said? Did I really love him? He said, Yeah. I said, You know what? I've got a nation now. I've got two kids now that you can meet. Well, we finally met. Um, my dad and I spent the next two years trying to learn how to love one another. He made a profession of faith in Christ, uh, but he was living in a transient hotel in, in Las Vegas. My dad and I—we talked off and on for two years, and then we lost touch for a period of maybe about two, three weeks. And then I got another—I got a call from the coroner in Las Vegas, saying, "There's a there's a man that died in a in a in a hotel room. Uh, He's been there so long that we can't really we can't even we can't even determine if this is your your father or not. You know, we've got we've got uh we tried to do a fingerprint thing, but he is so was so far gone they couldn't. He said, is there anything that you can do that could help us identify whether this is him or not? I said, well, the one thing I do know is that he had heart problems and that if you contact his doctor here, they may be able to help you. Do you know that they were able to make an exact match of my dad based on his heart? Agape is not designed to be a command, but but God had to command it in order to get us to do it. It doesn't flow naturally from us. But when he sealed his Holy Spirit inside of us, he gave us the power to be able to do it. The reason that he commands us to make it a habit is so that in the end it becomes normal. And when it becomes normal, there's nothing that you have to do. It just flows from you. So when your pastor talks about my love for him, it started there. It's easy to love. It's easy to love. And when you remember what Christ did for you, it becomes so easy to love others. And if you want a way in which you can demonstrate to the world, if you want to see America turn around, it can start right here at this church in the way that you love one another. That becomes a testimony then that God can use and use you as a lighthouse in this world. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, uh, I thank you for your word, which is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. I, 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 don't, I don't know, Lord. Uh, I thank you for your word. Your word has a way of, of conveying to us how we're to live and what we're to do. So help us to remember that that agape love, agape is a command, not an option. And that as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, as a redeemed one of God, I need to cultivate the habit. I need to habitually practice love in order for it to become normal. And for that, I thank and praise you because I know that's your will in Christ Jesus concerning us and you're going to do it because we pray this and need this because of Christ, but we pray it in Jesus' name, amen.